Good evening. Listen to the Late Late Show this week with me. Can you believe they have given me my own jingle? I am absolutely thrilled. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about fostering a love of mathematics by talking to author, teacher, leader, and mathematician, Christopher Barker. Stay tuned. Hello and good evening. Happy Monday, everybody. Um, welcome to this evening's Late Late Show with me, Tracy Lees. You will have got that from the jingle, the jingle which I might add, um, I'm going to struggle to enter a room now without uh, summoning some of that uh, theatricality. So thank you for joining me this evening. Um, we are going to get into a, a big topic tonight about mathematics and in particular, fostering a love of maths and I've got a brilliant guest lined up, a mathematician, author, leader, teacher, um, also my brother, I have to be honest about that, uh, Christopher Barker, and he's going to be live with, other, live with us this evening, telling us all about why we should put maths at the heart of our curriculums. So I hope you are all well. I hope you have all survived uh, thus far. If your term dates are the same as mine, then <clears throat> then it's hump week uh, and, and it feels like hump week. Uh, in other words, after this week, we are heading into half term. And I don't know to what extent term dates differ, um, <clears throat> but half term sure feels a long way away. So great show coming up tonight. Very excited to speak to Christopher and he's going to be joining us shortly. So obviously lots of things um, at the moment, um, strikes, industrial action, but we're going to get back to the core business of curriculum and we are going to hear from Christopher very shortly. So maths. Maths is a little bit of a hot potato at the moment. Rishi Sunak has given us a directive or a suggestion around maths and we are going to put that to Christopher and we're going to see what he as a head of mathematics thinks about that. Um, also we're going to talk about where maths can fit into the wider curriculum and what we can each do as individual teachers to create this love of mathematics that our students want and need. So a little bit of an update, big day in my house, my youngest child um, got a values award today. Um, big news, big, big news. Um, not if you're my eldest child and you're fuming, but apart from that, great news. So that was very exciting. Um, other than that, it's just been a tricky week with snow, um, unexpected snow in some cases. Um, so hopefully, hopefully we're through the worst of it. Obviously, we've got other things happening this half term that we'll try, try not to dwell on. Um, but we are going to be talking this evening for the next hour about maths. So I have to be honest with you, before Christopher calls in, 
Um, actually, maths is not my thing. Actually, maths is not my thing. But we are going to speak to Christopher and he's going to talk to us about what he loves about maths. Christopher, are you there? Am I here? Oh, you are here and you're really loud. Oh, good. That's a good sound. How are you? Yes, I'm good, thank you. I was in, and I, don't, I could hear you, you know, filling time. I was like, I feel like I'm already in the room, but I, I clearly wasn't there. I have never filled time in my life, and I resent that accusation. So, <laughs> thank you so much for being here this evening with us. I know you've had a very busy weekend, and I know you've had yes. a really busy day. And then what have you just had? Year 10? Information evening. Brilliant. And, and, and what information did you impart that was going to change their lives? Uh, how to prepare for their year 10 assessments and how to respond to the feedback when they get it. Okay. Okay. So we are going to talk maths. Okay. This, this is your area of speciality. Now yeah, good. I'm, I'm going to, pre- <laughs> I'm going to preface this by saying that to me, at least um, you don't present as a typical mathematician. And what I suppose I mean by that is lots of the people I know who have the love of maths that you have, um, sometimes don't have other things that you have so like your creativity we we've commented on the fact that you you've published a book that you're we haven't told people yet that you act and you do some other things um but what so (laughs) i mean i i'm hearing what you're saying but i don't i wouldn't say there's a, a typical mathematician well i'm hoping that we can dispel some myths tonight okay so, so I'm sure we can. I'm sure. So, do you want to start off by explaining a little bit about your current job? What's your current role? Yes. So, I am the maths curriculum lead at a school in Nantwich, uh, and it's the same school that I've worked at since I was in NQT. Yeah, I remember. But <laughs> um, <laughs> the people so, at home may not. <laughs> so, so, Nantwich is in the northwest of England. Um, and the thing to say, Christopher, is your sister, we, we didn't grow up with privilege, did we? So, so your, your maths knowledge is, is kind of a genetic mystery. So do, do you have like a particular moment that you realized maths is where it's at? Um, I, w- I don't know really, because in primary school, I had to do like remedial maths lessons. I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember, so- but... It- comfort me because I, you're a summer baby your, your birthday's in august and i have two summer babies yes. so it does make me feel hopeful about my own children so i i don't i didn't know that you had remedial maths but you've told me that since yes so that so would have I, been year on, five no, year five year four five yeah so i have very vivid memory of everyone being told to do maths and then i got told to take my number land book down to the unit and did like extra special maths um mm-hmm. so i don't think it you know, I don't think it then clicked, but then I did do well in my year six sats and then I was in set two in year seven uh, and then got moved up. And then I think I remember helping uh, someone who lives down the road from us with their maths homework, who was in the year above us. <laughs> and she was doing Pythagoras's theorem and I'd not seen it before. And then I just read it and I was like, oh yeah, well, we can just do this. You'll just do this, this, this. And then well, she was How like, old are you at this point? I would think I was in year eight and she was in year nine. Um, and then I just read the, I was, I just remember reading the equation. I was like, oh yes, you'll just add the two together and, and square them. And then it's, you'll just square root it because it's square. And then she was like, oh, I can't believe you just learned this without ever, like I haven't been in the lesson. I was like, well, it's, but then I just thought until that point, everyone did the same. Everyone thought the same. Oh, 
So, but, but, did, but being able to do it and loving it aren't always the same thing. So did you, because you could do it, you loved it or, or um, you, you started to love it because other people couldn't do it? Like what, what which way around did this kind of fall? Uh, I, well, I just loved all learning. So I, and I, I didn't really figure out that I, ma- I liked maths the most till about year 11 when you had to choose your A-levels because I would have just happily carried on studying all my subjects if that's how the curriculum worked. Um, because I just liked learning very much. Um, but then I think that kind of distills down to maths because I do think it's the like the purest form of learning. So I think my love of learning compounded to just being, well, maths is, is the most useful esoteric kind of learning. So let's capitalise on that one. Do you know, and even as your sister, I would say, even when you were doing your A-levels, I still didn't know that this maths thing was there. And I don't, I don't know what, at what point I realised, but shall we, shall we talk a little bit more about, um, about what you've achieved in maths? So you, you got a first class honours degree in, in maths. Yes. Am I right in saying that you did a maths A-level in one year because you did maths and further maths together? Uh, Yes. Uh, yeah, but that's that. That's not that uncommon, but yes. It is when I tell people, Christopher. <laughs> it is when I tell people. Right, um, okay. And am I right in saying that you have got the school record for the number of grade nine GCSEs in maths in your school? Uh, I don't know if I have because I've not had many top sets since it was grade nines, but I do feel vicarious like all the grade nines that are earned in the department are mine <laughs> anyway. I think that is a, a lovely, a lovely way to um, say to your own ego. Okay, so, so, we, so you love math. So you've gone through education. You're, you're in your A levels, and you realise that you love math. Now, I do know that teaching wasn't Plan A career wise. I do know that you um, investigated other maths based careers. But is it is it fair to say that you picked teaching because you could just do maths all day? Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I was finishing my degree that I deliberately did not want to teach because I wanted to just like assert to myself that there are things to do with maths that are not teach maths. Um, mm. And then I was, like you said, I was looking at actuarial career at that point. And then I, I did just reach the conclusion that the only reason to not teach math, like that cannot be the reason to not teach just because I'm trying to prove a point to no one that it's useful. Um and yeah, I do enjoy it. So, so I think it was the right decision. I think it's fair to say you're good at it. So if you're just joining us, I am speaking to mathematician, teacher, leader and author Christopher Barker about how we can foster a love of maths in our schools. If you've got any questions about maths or about the leadership of maths, or even if you want to declare that you also love maths, you can please text them in this evening and I will put them to Christopher. So you joined the profession in which year, Christopher? Uh, 2000 and well, my training year was 2008, 2009. So 2009 in earnest. And you became head of maths when? Uh, 2014-ish. Okay. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about how you became head of maths? Um, yeah, uh, it was a, yeah. So I, essentially I wasn't in my head ready to become head of maths and the current head of maths had just been made assistant head and was trying to do both. And then a deputy head took me to one side and was like, yeah, would you like to do this on a temporary basis? Because inexplicably being assistant head and head of maths is not doable at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I remember talking to you about that and uh, you were like, well, you'd be daft not to try it at least. <laughs> and I mean, that is like, my yeah, well, mantra that's... for life. Yeah, and I was like, well, so I was of the mindset that, well, there's no harm in trying it. And if it doesn't go very well, there's, there's been nothing lost because if in my head it's a gamble because I'm not ready for it yet. And then it mm-hmm. just stayed from there. But that but I remember it... that was that was when my form who started when I did were year 11. So that was in my fifth year of teaching. Mm-hmm. So something that often I, fa- I find anyway um, in maths is people's careers can progress very quickly as as it did in the case of you um do you think that's fair do you think that's right or do you think i'm incorrect in saying that because certainly in the inner city schools in which i've taught there's been a real sense of if you are a good maths teacher then you are promoted pretty rapidly um that's that's not the experience in the school i'm in um mm-hmm. i don't know if that's because you're I might be generalising, but I think some city schools struggle to retain or recruit staff. I don't know. Correct. Um, Correct. And so that if, if you've been there more than two years, maybe there's, there's just more opportunities that have come up. But I, that's not the experience I have. Um, but I do find that I find a lot of math teachers are more curriculum oriented. So if they do progress, I don't often find math teachers that go into the pastoral side. I think they they stay curriculum do you know, now you've said that, now you've said that, that's true as well for, for people I've worked with. Yeah, I don't think I've ever worked with one, yeah, one pastoral leader who's maths. Because maths is just so enticing that why would they want to step <laughs> away from it? Maths is just so intense is what I thought you were going to say, that it just doesn't leave room for like social interaction. No, that's the exact opposite of what I was saying. <laughs> okay, so, so, right, so let's, let's take a step back to... Back, back, back to um, your own love of mathematics. Mm-hmm. So what is it? What What is it if you had to summarize what it is you love? And you and I can confirm as someone that knows you really quite well, I would hope at this point, um, your love of maths is immense. It's mm. in, in, in genuine. And I, I admire it because um, as we'll, we'll get to later, maths is not always been easy for me so what is it that you love about math so much um I would say that I just love the the satisfaction of having a problem and approaching it and then just reaching a a conclusion and I like the fact that along the way especially some of the a-level questions which are my favorite ones along the way you'll end up just tying in skills from complete nowhere that you didn't expect would it would end up need being needed um and but just it's just irrefutable like you reach the answer and there's no scope to query it or like it's just the correct answer and I quite like that finality of how it's just correct but would would you say that people are like one or the other so for me as an English teacher the idea that there is one absolutely correct answer I find so boring I'm like well what where's the fun in that you know and one of the things I enjoy particularly about my subject is well, I see this, what do you see or what do you feel or how do you interpret that? And there just isn't that in maths. No, but so, there is that in maths. I just think that's how you were taught. Well, how, how, how is there that same interpretation in mathematics because, then? So, for example, in, in further math, like if I was to pick like a, a difficult further maths question, um, there could be five different approaches that different students use and they'll all be valid. And then it's just nice then comparing the different routes that people took to that same end goal and then drawing out the similarities or 
how on a deeper level they're actually doing the same steps, but they look like, I just think it's, there is scope to discuss it and, and compare those different ways. And it is more creative than people think. I think if some people have studied it until like, the hardest thing you ever learn is Pythagoras' theorem. Mm -hmm. that there's not many play, there's not many steps, so you just do it and it's done. But then, I mean, once Christopher, you... that was sufficiently challenging for me, by the way. Yeah, I've, I was really at my limit with that. And there's no judgment for <laughs> those people for whom that is the the, the most challenging thing they've ever seen. Mm. Um, but when you go past that, and it, it does require more steps, there is more creativity than I think it's given credit for. Okay, so let, let's let's get to loving maths. Yeah. So there is a difference between functional numeracy and being able to do maths or functioning in society as a numerate person. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously there's quite a lot of published research around um, low numeracy and literacy rates and the impact that that has on people. And if you've not read that research, it's very bleak. Uh, the life chances that you get uh, if you've got uh, low uh, numeracy and literacy, but what what about the love? What about the love of it? What what do you do as a teacher that mm -hmm. brings that joy? And I suppose also as a leader, what do you do that brings joy? Because I can get in a world where I need maths, but I can't ever think I'll love it. Yeah. See, I very deep down believe that. And you might, you might disagree with this, but I fundamentally believe that everyone would love it if they were successful in it. And I think that the, I think people just like numbers and like maths until at some point, all of a sudden, it's it, they've, they've stopped getting it. And then when you don't get it right, that's a horrible feeling. And I think then people are like, oh, no, no, I don't like maths. And it's the feeling of being wrong they don't like. And I don't think it's maths that they dislike. I think just inherently everyone loves it. And I've got, I've got no evidence to say that's wrong. So no, I'm going to stick but, with it. And you're pretty biased in your um, assumptions, maybe. So here's how I know. Here's how I know for definite that you, you are the real deal for maths. So when I failed my maths GCSE for the first time, I was okay with that back in 1998, I got a D grade and I was okay with that because I chose to fail in inverted commas. And I was that pupil who, if I wasn't going to be really good at something, didn't want to really commit, didn't really want to get involved, didn't really want to fail. So perhaps there is something of what you said in that, Christopher. Mm. And then the second time I failed my maths GCSE. Now, by this point, I really needed it because I had a conditional offer on a PGCE. And as we'll all know, a C grade, as it was then in maths, was a legal requirement. And I failed my maths GCSE for the second time by one mark. Yeah, I remember And that. yeah. And the reason, the reason I became a teacher, the reason I was able to get on a PGCE is actually because you tutored me for two weeks in this equivalency exam. And I actually did understand maths when I was with you. And I can't really explain why that was different or how it was different to how I was taught in school. Mm. But I know for certain that you really can make maths make sense. So, Yeah, and I don't think you would have... I don't think it's, but I think you would have enjoyed that more just from being, just from getting it more. Like, I just think if it's this like mystical thing that's like shrouded in something you don't understand, people don't like it. But I think if you just, if you get it and you get the right answer, like what's not to like? Like who doesn't like being told they're correct? 
Yeah, but numbers are hard, Christopher. <laughs> and also the, uh, the other thing to say about maths is it, it is very heavy with tier three vocabulary. So it isn't enough to just be numerate. And there are, obviously there are like multi-step word problems. So, so it isn't purely about numbers. No, I agree. Um, and I think there was a thing I read the other year that said someone analysed a GCSE paper and said something like the reading age required for the GCSE maths paper was higher than it was for, I think it was something like history or something very literate. But there are, with some maths questions, there are just such nuances in the way it's written. So mm. like a reverse percentages question, most of the time I find students do that wrong, but because they've just misread like misunderstood what the question meant and they just do it wrong. But then when you sit and you do it at the board, they're like, oh yeah, of course it's that. I'm like, yeah, but you all just misread it. Like none of you understood what this question said because the wording is just so like tight. There's no, it's, it's lean wording. And if you just misread one word, then it's means yeah. something really different. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and, and it's succinct. So if you don't know what one of the words means, you're going to struggle to access the question. So, so let's think then about the love that you got from maths. Okay. So yeah. we, we got that you enjoyed it, but what, was there anything in particular that your teachers did or that you did? I know you really enjoyed your, your um, degree uh, and yeah. I, I know that you really enjoyed um, your lecturer and his input, but like, was there anything that education gave you that you could attribute any of your love of mathematics to? Uh, no, you I can't say, take the whole credit, Christopher. No, but I would say that my enjoyment was just inbuilt in the subject. I don't think people did something specific apart from just impart knowledge, um, but knowledge that I loved. Like, I don't, I don't think they did anything revolutionary. I know when we've talked, the way that you got taught maths was very different mm -hmm. um, because you said you did, I think you said you did the smile booklets where you just did a booklet and then they gave the next booklet and there was no like teaching from the front. There was hardly hardly any teacher input, but I always thought that was because I was in set three. No, that, mm. well, then you should have been given more teacher input then, surely. Christopher, what an injustice. What a hand I was <laughs> what dealt. An Whereas I was just taught very, what I would class traditionally, which is they model it and then you just try and emulate that and reach the right yeah, answer. Which is like basically quality first teaching, like teacher yeah. input, knowledge, imparts knowledge. But so, so are well, you saying that... I would say the knowledge, though, was the hook rather than anything they did. Like, apart from just explaining it clearly, like it, but, mm. but the knowledge itself was the bit that was good. So are you saying that it wouldn't have mattered who was in front of you? It wouldn't have mattered if you had a teacher doing the YMCA or teaching you a Pythagoras dance or mnemonic or color code or chocolate. It, it wouldn't have made you love maths more. No, um, but then I think the different things that teachers might do, and I've not seen anyone doing a YMCA to teach it. I know. I was just thinking. I was just thinking of what um, you could do. Well, I just Hi, the, whatever, fag, no, doesn't matter. <laughs> no, feel free to not uh, continue. <laughs> to continue. Um, but I do think um, whatever the teachers would do would be just to get them to understand it, and the understanding is what builds the enjoyment. So like we're doing lots of stuff at the school at the minute with manipulatives. Mm -hmm. So having like tiles and counters and stuff to try and make it feel, make what's very abstract feel concrete. And I don't think it feels almost like we're going back to something that was like kinesthetic, which we're not. It's just something to hook that knowledge on to, to build the success in, but it's not, 
It's not that I think kids love playing with tiles and counters, like the the fun and the knowledge is what makes it good. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna come back to things that you do in the classroom. Um in a second we're going to have some adverts in a moment we're going to have the news but just just before we do just to make it absolutely clear there's no there's no genetic explanation that we can find for your uh, mathematic mathematical ability there's no there's no one in the family that's like a secret mathematician and you just out of nowhere like a young harry potter discovering his power you just had this ability uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm pulling some very strong faces at the things that you're saying because it because it sounds ludicrous. Um, I, can, I just can't I can't explain it. Well, should they, it be genetic? Do you think it's genetic, or do you just think? Well, do you? Everyone, you're the expert. I, well, I would say everyone's got the capacity to learn it, and I was just taught it well. I don't I don't think it was anything. I don't think it's some like you know inherited right to solve equations. No. No, I don't think it's DNA. Well, you look at Christopher. Just be very careful what you say. Um, I just don't I, think it's linked to that. I am five years your senior. Okay, so we are talking to Christopher Barker, and um, he is my brother. In case you haven't worked that out, but don't hold that against him. And he is going to carry on talking to us about fostering love of mathematics after the adverts. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Christian Institute website carries a story on the reminder by Minister of State for Schools, Nick Gibb, that schools in England have a duty to remain politically impartial in their teaching and extracurricular activities. The guidance was published last year. But Mr Gibb was responding to MP Miriam Cates' references to a YouGov poll, which appears to reveal that the majority of UK children are being taught political ideology as fact. And he issued the reminder. Ms Cates was referencing a view that children are being taught that they can be born in the wrong body, as well as resources being used in schools which focus on the topic of gender identity. The DfE guidance comes as Scotland attempts to introduce new legislation on gender recognition, which is opposed by Westminster. The guidance states that schools should not under any circumstances work with or use materials produced by external agencies that take extreme political positions. The Varsity website reports on findings by a right-wing think tank that elite universities were more likely to use progressive terminology on their websites. Cambridge tops the table in the Radical Progressive University Guide, although the think tank Civitas does not appear to see this as a positive. Varsity highlights comments reported in the Daily Mail, which warned that half of our universities peddle their walk agenda to students. The think tank generated the findings after exploring university websites and news reports, looking for a series of key phrases including trigger warning, white privilege and anti-racism. Those with high incidences of key phrases were at the top of the table. 
Varsity acknowledges a view that Cambridge's political culture is to the left of the national one, but also highlights key figures in academia who fe feature prominently in the conservative press. It's hard to stay away from politics as announcements of strikes continued late last week. The TES reports on the continued deadlock in Scotland, whilst the Evening Standard covers talks between ministers and unions in England after the NEU confirmed strike dates for the coming weeks and months. These strikes are set to impact schools in England and Wales, although the BBC further reports on talks in Wales. Its news website reports that teachers and school leaders have been offered a one-off payment by the Welsh Government, similar to that offered to health workers, although unions have already said that the offer is not enough. Scottish media outlets have also carried a story about what it describes as fears about violence in schools. A clip now widely shared on social media shows an altercation between two students and that took place on the same day a male pupil was left unconscious following an assault. Whilst Police Scotland have said it's investigating both incidents, it has sparked debate on the state of behaviour in schools, particularly as such incidents have featured in headlines before. The Scottish Government has previously stated they're investing an additional £15 million this year to enhance capacity to effectively meet the needs of young people, and that they were very clear that violence is unacceptable. In further political news, the petition put forward by three men known as the Three Dads Walking will go to Parliament. The men, who all lost daughters to suicide, want to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum. The petition they set up now has more than 155,000 signatures, which means that it will be discussed in Parliament after previously failing to be heard. Finally, more than 20,000 defibrillators will be sent to almost 18,000 state-funded schools by the end of the academic year. It comes after the government committed to ensuring there was a device in every school last year. The rollout comes after campaigning from the Oliver King Foundation and its founder, Mark King, whose son died at 12 from a cardiac arrest while swimming at school. Guidance to support schools has been created, including awareness videos, and Education Secretary Gillian Keegan praised the work of the Oliver King Foundation and described the rollout as a huge milestone. Mr King stated, defibrillators save lives and that he hoped that families do not have to suffer the heartbreak of unnecessarily losing a child. This is for our Ollie. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, a while ago I asked you what is your go-to piece of tech? This week I had the pleasure of talking to Ian Kenyon, CEO of Wirral Respite and Alternative Provision, also known as RAP for short. So, Ian, what is your go-to piece of tech in your setting? Thanks, Steve. In our organisation, we are absolutely embedded in sharing our information and our data via the cloud. And there's loads of software out there to do it. And there's a lot of bespoke software for our type of organisation student information management services, uh, the likes of Sims or Arbor or, or, or things like that. But unfortunately, they're all built around big organizations, big schools, uh, schools with up to 1,200 students. Certainly not for schools that have a turnaround of students uh, who are completing courses in 12 weeks and those students who are potentially returning but require new files. 
we've tried proprietary software it's very very expensive but actually what we've fallen back to is what google provides uh, using g suite which is now google workplace we have access to spreadsheets to um, form filling uh, software for for data collection uh, google docs which is you're very familiar with everything via traditional microsoft offices being able to link docs uh, and sheets and forms together has been almost transformational for our organization it's not the cheapest uh, i will say the per user price matches uh, what other software like Zoho or, or Microsoft will do, um, but offers a simpler version for us um, and offers us some interactivity that we've never had before. It handles our email, it handles our, our, our student information, so gathering attendance, it handles our finance, uh, so invoicing. Um, the, the, the way that the suite works, the way that the package works, just works really well for us. But with very little additional investment in time, effort and training, um, Google offers us everything that we need. The final sort of element that, that has been transformational for us is then being able to use proprietary hardware such as Chromebooks or even Android phones and the ability for us to then transfer our data and, and to, to be live in the cloud at all times has been uh, a really good thing for our organisation. So there you have it, my number one go-to. It's definitely got to be Google Workplace. Thank you, Ian. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Do you have a go-to piece of tech? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back. This is The Late Late Show with me, Tracy Lees, and I'm speaking to my special guest, author, mathematician, teacher on the ground and leader, Christopher Barker. Hello, Christopher. Hello. So we've been talking about the fact that you love math. So just before we get into what you do in a classroom, what your department does, and we'll get on to GCSE results in a second, just going to reiterate, you genuinely believe that every single child yeah. can love maths and, and study it to, to a degree, genuinely. Uh, yeah, I feel like every child in the school has the capability to do well in their GCSE maths. And if uh, what? what? In, if, if the teaching is right, if they engage, like, I just think, I don't, for me, it's not, there's no such thing as, um, there's like a math gene or whatever the factors are. I just think everyone's got that capability. Okay, well, I think you must have got mine because... Because I I don't, but I I do believe you. I believe it's possible. I just probably, probably not the way I was taught. Safe to say. Okay, so talk to no. me about your GCSE results for the last year. Just give us the headline figures. Yeah. So the headline figure that we were the most delighted with was that we had seventy nine percent five and above. Wow. Uh, for our maths, and that had gone up twenty percent since twenty nineteen. Um, wow. Which we were amazed about because obviously it's been such a turbulent few years we literally, mm -hmm. we literally had no idea what those results were going to look like mm -hmm. um but yeah we they did the team did smash it yeah the students did really well so your results have put you right at the top haven't they of your local authority yeah so so you're now being asked to go into other schools and advise them about their maths curriculum and they're dropping in to see you. So when when they come in to see you, what do you show them that you can attribute some of that success to? 
Um, well, they normally they have questions rather than I. It, it's not like I've just got a showcase okay. ready. I'm like, this is what we do. But normally they maybe they have you questions. should have a showcase ready. <laughs> maybe um, they normally have questions about our uh, curriculum sequencing or how we assess mm-hmm. or um, how we use homework. What's our setting structure like? Things that are quite standard. Um, so well, talk to us about that then. So what? So what is it about that that you think you've got right? Because you must have got. Uh, well, like I said before, I just think we're very traditional. We don't jump on every initiative as it comes out. We just mm-hmm. prioritise clear explanation and good exercises for the students to do. Um, and so like in our department meetings, like last year we had a real focus on clarity of explanation. Um, so we did some CPD in the department about how sloppy language leads to misconceptions and then I would do lesson drop-ins and try and see if that was happening and then it, it we're just constantly trying to it'll hone the craft to so make what, sure what that, do you mean well, give me an example of a sloppy explanation so one of the things that students effort. often say is two minuses make a plus um which is true in some instances but not but they use it incorrectly because they've, they've remembered that one phrase and it doesn't always work so they'll do things like minus three, um, take seven, and they'll make it a positive number when they should be like visualizing the number line. Oh, okay. Or okay. red counters or whatever to visualize it. But it's that that sloppy, imprecise language the kids have remembered, and then it just messes everything up. It just wreaks havoc with their understanding. Okay, so would you say you're quite your your the pedagogy in your department is quite kind of like. Rosenshine principles of instruction or or is it something else um I wouldn't say it's far off that so there's the school um uh, the school uses the six core principles and I don't know if that's a thing they've come up with themselves or if that's something they've pinched from somewhere maybe like a dog I'm glad you know yeah (laughs) should know you should know (laughs) but okay Um, yeah but we do that's what we use but it's essentially just common sense good teaching assess them well explain well question them to check they understand it get the picture right like it's all just very common sense logical things okay so, something that i find that can um account for a lot of um, in-house variation particularly with the teaching of maths is subject knowledge mm. but it's certainly my experience obviously i can't comment on your department or or people you've worked with but what do you do as a curriculum leader to ensure that your teacher's subject knowledge because i think of all subjects in in maths as you say it's so precise yeah um well the 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 first thing i led with when the last visitors came in was that the team is so stable so barely anyone's left for ages Mm -hmm. um and so all the improvements and stuff that i was talking to them about um including their subject knowledge um stem from the fact that it's, I've had the same team for at least five years. I don't think anyone's left in five years um, to cultivate and to get better and to work together and to like, go on like a TNL journey as a group. Um, but yeah, subject knowledge is part of that. So we discuss it in uh, meetings. So uh, the pedagogy, how to explain it. We've got resources that we've planned together and uh, discussed what's the best approach to take. Um, I also do like a subject knowledge thing for A-level uh, once a week because a lot of some of the department are not confident in the subject knowledge for the sixth form, so I will teach them the content, um, like a little mini lesson, which is nice and well received. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because I always find that the more with math, I don't know if it's the same in other subjects, you can maybe say yes or no, but if I feel like in maths, if you're teaching to the top of your, like your understanding, you will not connect the dots as well for where it leads. So I, for our GCSE results or students, mm-hmm. having more staff that know year 13 is good oh, because okay, yeah. they, they know, they can be like, they know which bits to get right, ready for. You know, like the, the threshold concepts, in other words. Yeah. Now, you just touched on retention and recruitment, and you just said about your stable team. Now, yeah. that you know that that is absolutely not what's happening in mathematics nationally. So how, what would you what would you say is behind being able to secure a team in maths um, as like a stable team? Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, I think the team themselves has some like a magnetism, like they the team that like keeps themselves together like they're very supportive of each other without even my interference like if if even if i wasn't there they would they help each other they support each other they'll do things to help each other which i think keeps them there because i know they often tell me they don't they don't think they'd get that kind of ethos elsewhere mm-hmm. um and then from my perspective i um i just prioritize maths like, because I know, like I was saying to you before, math teachers typically are, are more curriculum oriented than pastoral oriented or whatever bit of the school. Mm-hmm. So getting them to do math together, getting them to improve their math together, talking about math, like they just, people just love it. Like, they, So it just keeps them focused on the bit that they like of the job without dragging them down with the other stuff that they don't like or care about as much. Okay, so... So Rishi Sunak wants everybody to do maths till they're 18. What do you, what do you think about that as a, as a mathematician yourself? Yes. Now, uh, this is a, <laughs> so there's, there's the obvious problem that there's not enough math teachers mm-hmm. to, to facilitate that. So I'll, I'll take that out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of having more people studying maths till they're 18, I think is good. So uh, I, I, when sometimes I get the students say to me, like, when will I, when will I need this? And the kind of argument I use back to them is that if I'm at the gym um, and I am like repeatedly lifting up the same weight over and over again, Mm -hmm. I don't say to the person in the gym, like, when will I ever need to lift up a weight over and over again? Because I know that that's making, it makes your body stronger. And it's like Mm -hmm. when you're doing maths and you solve like 20, quadratics it's making your mind stronger and even if you don't use those same skills like people are like well when will, ever, when will I ever need to use quadratics in real life and they might not need to use quadratics in real life but maths is like exercise for the brain and so it just makes them think better and more clearly and more abstractly and I think if more people study it till they're 18 then I just think generally that's a good thing but I do think the things that they are taught would need to be Right. I don't think they, if, if they're being forced to take maths past 16, they're not going to want to be doing algebra. They want, they're, they're hopefully going to want to be doing things like how to calculate their interest rates or how to balance a mortgage or, mm-hmm. you know, things that they can actually see are used for because, they, you know, they've gone past that. Then if they're not choosing to take it and want to study it at that abstract level, that it just needs to be relevant for them. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time, even though I would argue that it just makes their brain better. 
the, no, I don't know if you still do this. Sorry, that, that, that's no, really okay. that is. I've never thought about the weightlifting analogy, but that makes so much sense. I don't know if you still do this, but you used to program your phone so that um, it you had to do like an equation or a song. Um, yeah. no, to I don't wake do that up. anymore. No, oh, I they were to. the days, Christopher. Yes, that's right. They I used were the to have hedonistic an app. formative years. I know. They, I used to have an app on my phone that wouldn't turn the alarm off until I'd done the calculation correct. Yeah, I'd, but no, I don't have that anymore. I mean, what on, on a serious level, that's like extreme love of maths. That, do you think that's at the key for students? Because you have to really be passionate about your subject and like genuinely live it and not just, you know. Yeah, but I don't think that's different from any other subject, really. I think if you've got someone who is talking to you about it and you can tell they don't care, regardless of the subject, I don't, mm. I think they'll see through it. But you're right, I do love it. And I do think the students know that and the staff that I work with know that. And like, I'll joke to them when they're all, so like some of our students do the STEP exam in year 13, which is Cambridge's entrance exam. Mm -hmm. And it's like literally like the, the, the hardest thing that any of our math students will do. Um, but it's the exam paper that I take um, like on the aeroplane instead of like a crossword book when I'm going on holiday. I know, but I will I tease heard the that on another about, podcast. Yeah, and then <laughs> I'll say like, this to what? And then the students will be like, are you joking? I'm like, no, genuinely, I'll sit there. And rather than like a Sudoku book, I will do this because it's a better, you know, thing for my brain to work on than just putting the numbers one to nine in a grid. But they, but yeah, they love it. Like, I love it. And they like the fact that I'm so geeky about it. Like, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. But I think, but again, I think that's true for any subject. I don't think that's math specific. I think they just want someone yeah. that loves it. So in terms of like hard and fast things we can take away from this. Yeah. What, if you could like wave a magic wand in terms of maths curriculums or whole school approaches to numeracy, what would you do if you could do absolutely anything? With, with regards to curriculum? Any um, aspect of maths, like? Well, things for, for across the curriculum, I think there's loads of easy things that people can do. Um, if that's what you mean, to help mm -hmm. support numeracy or maths. Okay. So even for you as an English teacher, um, if students knew what the word adjacent meant or simultaneous meant before mm -hmm. they hear it in a maths lesson for the first time, mm -hmm. that would support their maths. And you might not think that's, you know, developing the numeracy. But when I teach simultaneous equations and they don't know that simultaneous means at the same time, it just detracts from what I'm teaching them. And when I'm doing trigonometry... And I'm saying this side is called the adjacent because it is next to the angle. And they've never heard the word adjacent because their vocabulary is limited. Mm -hmm. That's supporting their maths. Because for me, it, that's such a logical name for it. But the, the students get it wrong because they don't know what those words mean. So there's in whatever pocket of school, there are things that they could be doing. Um, or uh, we have these things called like fact families. So, for example, when you know that nine times eight is 72, you know that eight times nine is 72 or 72 divided by nine is eight, whatever it is. Um, but then anytime you do a calculation, if subjects just reiterated those families and those related facts, that'd be so easy for them to do. So for example, geography teaching, population density, they do a divide. But if the mm -hmm. teacher just took like an extra minute to reinforce, well, oh, well, this means this times this is this and just linked that. Because some of the weaker students don't know that inside out and they they ought to but i don't think there's loads that needs to change i think maths you know maths teaching is 
its own entity and anything else that can support it is great. Um, so what what do you think about, like a lot of primary schools buy in like maths packages now, don't they? Like white rose maths or power yeah. maths yeah. as a kind of pure, serious devotee of mathematics. What, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Yeah, well, they're, but they're, the ones that you've mentioned are both mastery packages. Um, and I think that's good. Um, so certainly the journey that I've been on departmentally, when I first started, we used to do like a fortnight on one topic, then a fortnight on another topic, and a fortnight on another topic, and it was just quite surface level. Um, whereas those two packages that you've mentioned and what we've done without buying an external package is just spending longer on topics to, to get it inside out and make all the different links with all the different areas and and appreciate it on that level rather than just and, and thinking of your progress as depth of understanding and not just rushing through the content as quick as you can. So, so I've got you, no, I've got no qualms with people buying in packages if if they're good, um, so, and the two you mentioned I think are. So, do you think mastery for mathematics? Do you think that's the key to getting that um, that, as you say, depth of understanding that students need? Uh, I think so. I don't. I think if you go through it at the pace that I used, well, I think all teachers used to, all Matty, and I don't think you can get that same understanding from all students i think your top students can cope with that pace and can make those links themselves mm-hmm. but i think weaker students need need you to spell out the links for them because they won't necessarily make the connections but you want them to so you as the expert have to make those connections for them because they need to have them but they you know you need time to to do that so yeah i do think mastery is really good and all the research that it's come from, you know, all these teachers that visited Shanghai and saw how amazing they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's such good um, progress that math teachers are making, but off the back of that. So, yeah, I think that's really useful in, in improving maths outcomes. Okay, we're going to have a very quick advert and then we're going to come back and finish the show. So we are listening to The Late Late Show with me, Tracy Lees, speaking to my special guest, Christopher Barker, about all things maths. We'll be back in one second. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Okay, that was a very quick advert break. Okay, so very quick, yeah. So we're getting into the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the show. So we'll sum up what we've said so far. So Christopher (laughs) uh, is a leading mathematician. He has led the best maths results in his local authority to which you attribute stable staffing, focus on subject knowledge, investment in curriculum, and yeah. and mastery at the heart of what you do yeah essentially and that that broad and ambitious curriculum for mathematics is brought to life through a very sort of systematic rosenshine-esque pedagogy is that what we're saying yeah and i would say ambitious for everyone like you were saying before or i was saying before i do think you you need to fundamentally believe that all the students can achieve like I don't I think some people go into say a bottom set with their expectations low and then they 
they don't excel. And it's like, well, yeah, of course they didn't because you thought they were going to do badly. So yeah. I do think you need that lens that all the students can achieve if the conditions are right. Just very quickly, Christopher, can we just talk assessment just before just before I get you to finish these um, sentences for me? Yeah. How? What are your thoughts on the role that assessment plays within your um, ambitious curriculum? Assessment in general, or yeah, as, as, like what, what? What are your approaches? Do you assess full content? Do you do knowledge checks? Exit? Yeah. So, so we don't. So the, we don't do exit tickets. No, we just do um afl in lessons so questioning um we don't have hands up we just choose the students and we circulate and we go around and we correct mm -hmm. and help them and stuff um, live marking presumably uh well yeah because it's so black and white most of the time we just read out the answers okay um and we just check them that way um and then we do assess at the end of each unit but the units are large and they used to be so that's now like once a half term or twice a half term if that um or just the, the taught content. So you were mentioned about assessing full content. Do you mean like all the content available? No, I just mean like in terms of maybe like a curriculum assessment. So like obviously in English, we can't assess every single assessment objective, every single um, data capture because it's too big. So do you prioritize certain threshold concepts? Um, no, we, we're just very traditional and we just assess what we've just taught. Um, okay. But then for the assessment objectives, for maths, I don't think they work the same way because the assessment objectives are in everything for maths because they're things like, can you retrieve the facts or can you um, do the calculation? Can you problem solve? Like they're, they're part of everything. So it's not like any get missed. They're always there in everything really. Yeah. Do you want to just talk quickly, Christopher, about your strategy about uh, language, whole school language that you thought would support the uh, teaching of maths? Whole school language? Yep. About you were going to give out some um, information to the staff about they should refer to like lining up in a perpendicular way oh, or something. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so things like for form, my form, I have to stand perpendicular to the hall. Um, and there's just, then they just know that and they try and tease me for the fact they're perpendicular and the other forms look sloppy and at a, like a stupid angle, but they learn the word perpendicular just mm -hmm. outside of a math lesson. Um, or the did, fact did, that, it, did it take off across the school, this initiative, or did you not roll it out in the end? Uh, no, it's, it's like part of a bigger plan that's on like a not, it's not on that phase yet, but it's coming. Okay. Um, and things like when we brought in that all the students have to calculate their own uh, average uh, their own um, percentage when they do their tests and the teacher needs to tell them the average of the class but we would like them to use the word mean for the class um yeah, yeah okay. trying to introduce some vocabulary that's not um in math lessons because like i was saying before i think sometimes when people are asked to try and do numeracy in their subject areas for me that doesn't need to literally be calculations it can be supporting maths vocabulary like we're saying to you before about adjacent and simultaneous like that's mm -hmm. that's still helpful for them mathematically even if they don't add up in your lesson like that's fine do you know you're really making me think tonight just about to... <laughs> just about... <laughs> each other week <laughs> just, no just about like 
Well, I, I've honestly spent my whole life believing that it, that math, being good at maths, I can I can fun, I can be functional with maths, but I honestly live my life believing it's not possible. And I know that's like not very growth mindset, or you know, but but I really do hold that belief. And yet we don't say, do we? I don't think I'll ever be able to read. But we uh, we see we seem to be like overly I don't know self deprecating when it comes to maths. Do you think do you think there's a lot of fear in maths? That's my feeling. I just think people don't like being wrong. Like whatever the context is, no no, who, no one wants to be wrong. And in maths, it's just when you're wrong, it's just very overt. Whereas you can yeah. be wrong in English and you can write two full pages, I imagine, and score mm. zero. <laughs> yeah but mm. but it feels different to just no this answer is wrong because they can like well the teacher didn't get what i was coming with. like there's some ambiguity yeah it's you've, maths, it's exposing it's like, no, categorically yeah. you are incorrect and people don't like that which is why i think when when people feel successful which is the goal i just think that enjoyment is un, un, like unavoidable like if they are successful with it and like i can say if you don't people don't like being wrong but people love being right like so what would you do? Give give students really easy things to do to to get them to buy in? Uh, no, it needs to be pitched. At like there's like a sweet spot where it's they feel yeah. like they've earned it because if they've just done like three add two when they're eighteen, like what they're going <laughs> to still be thrilled. Oh yes, when like the teacher's clapping like a seal saying, "Oh well done!" Like that's yeah, but so, but so much of the so much of progress in maths is linear and it relies so much on past content. So for me. <laughs> It does, yeah. Yeah, but so so for me, genuinely in school, I had no chance in year eleven because there was things in year nine I hadn't learned. Yeah. So I was already lost. Do you know? Do you know? Yeah, um, and that's what I mean. And I think once you are lost, it, essentially every lesson you just get told you're wrong over and over, over and over again. So of course people don't like it because why would you? Mm, this is true. And, and it, I told you. Sorry, go on. And at fifteen, you, you're not going to be mature enough to to see it for the bigger picture and go back and fill in those gaps yourself you're going to just think well no I'm rubbish at it yeah like yeah and I told you about the math CPD I went to recently where I had to go and be taught maths as like a, a teaching and learning activity and without even choosing to I went in and messed around because I was really worried that somebody was going to ask me a question and I was like oh yeah I, I understand myself so much better now okay Christopher we're going to run out of time so I'm going to get right. you to finish by ending some sentences for me okay. yeah um so my favourite thing about maths is? Um, creative problem solving. I'll keep these brief because otherwise we're going to overrun. <laughs> and that will be a first. I've never overrun at anything. Okay. Um, in order to improve maths, school leaders should? Um, I think school leaders should acknowledge that sometimes maths is different from other subjects. And I think sometimes if you try and shoehorn maths to fit other whole school approaches it, it just won't so for example well we we have knowledge organizers at our school mm -hmm. across the board popular strategy um, yes however maths has maths is not really about not there's not a great deal of knowledge to memorize and you can know all the knowledge and still fail yeah because so, I, I i still know soccer toa and i've don't i've never done anything with it yeah exactly so <laughs> I, I think I think sometimes it's like an expectation that if you just know all the knowledge that that's enough and it's it's not uh, for maths. Okay, final thing, because we're running out of time. We can all celebrate maths by? By um, appreciating its usefulness and not tolerating people 
belittling it because it's very it's very precious to me and sometimes people are like oh <laughs> when will i ever use this like, just people just speak very negatively about maths and it's very hurtful to my uh community okay to you and your people okay yeah. well on that note thank you ever so much for your time this evening christopher You're you have been welcome. listening to teachers talk radio the late late show i'll be back in two weeks asking the question of an assistant subject leader for english kirsty pierpoint should all students study shakespeare i would love to hear your thoughts on that on twitter if you'd like to contact me i am at mrs queen lees and if you'd like to follow christopher he is at mr barker maths thank you very much christopher Enjoy your Thank evenings. You. Thank you. Bye.